feel like a wimp having her carry this out here for me. Uh, (laughs) It was shortly after 7 a.m. on August 7th, 1974, that the 24-year-old French acrobat Philippe Petit walked to the edge of the South Tower of the World Trade Center and stepped off. And he stepped onto a one-inch wire hanging 1,350 feet above the bustling streets of New York City, spanning the 200-foot distance between the towers of the World Trade Center. And for the next 45 minutes, Petit walked back and forth on that one-inch wire, the whole time carrying his 26-foot-long, 50-pound balance pole in his hands. He crossed that span eight different times in 45 minutes. At one point, he even knelt down on the wire, the wire, about the size of my thumb. That's how thick it was. At another point, he laid down on the wire a quarter mile above the streets of New York City. And there he is laying on a wire. The whole time, he would walk up to each tower and taunt the police officers ready to arrest him. At one point, he stopped in the middle and had a conversation with the birds who were wondering, what is this crazy dude doing in our space? Like, what's going on here? The film coverage and the news coverage of Petit, there he is, this crazy dude way up in the sky. The news and film coverage of him went the 1974 version of viral. In fact, his story in recent years has been made into two different movies. Now this wire that he was balanced on weighed over 500 pounds. And to span that 200-foot distance had to be fully anchored in to each tower. If it wasn't fully anchored on one side or the other, it would be disastrous. It would cost him his life and threaten the safety of everyone underneath. But to have that wire fully anchored between the two towers created tremendous tension pulling on that wire as the buildings would sway. But it was that tension as Philippe stood out. I'm not even going to pretend to do it. This is crazy, man. As the dude stood out on the wire, he would say he could feel the tension in the wire on his feet. And it was navigating that tension that led to his success. Navigating the tension. That's pretty much what Christianity is all about. Navigating tension. That's, that's church life. Right? The, the tension that we have to navigate. Should our focus be worldwide missions? Or should it be local missions? Should it be creating a student ministry that is fun and engaging for the students? Or should it be a student ministry with rich, deep content? Should it be focusing on our online audience? Hey to all you online today. Or should it be focused on the ones who join us in the room? Hello to all of you here in the room with us today. Which should it be? And that's the thing. It's not an either or kind of thing. It's a both and issue. It's the genius, but the tension of living in the and, living with both. That that's what Jesus calls us to. It's not a question of or. It's not a question of one or the other. It's not a problem to be solved. It's a tension to be managed. Now, what we see the longer we trek with Jesus is the people who don't understand the tension as much 
tend to view it as a problem, that we got to choose one or the other. And they're convinced that it is a problem. We have to choose one, and the problem to be solved has a solution. And you know who has the solution to it will be the person saying there's a problem. But that's not what we see with Jesus. So often what we encounter with Jesus is this willingness to live in the tension. In fact, the, the living in the ambiguity of the and is a sign of spiritual maturity. That those who are most mature understand that it's a both kind of situation with so many things. And one of the greatest tensions that we will manage as followers of Jesus is the tension between grace and truth. And to step into the tension between grace and truth, we feel like we're on this tightrope. That there's grace over here and truth over here and we got to navigate in between them. Well, Jesus embodied that. He embraced that tension. In fact, John and his gospel of Jesus, which is just the story of Jesus' life written by his friend John. John says this early on. He says, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, that's Jesus, who came from the Father, God. And he's full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace, full of truth. Full of grace, full of truth. That means engaging both the heart and the head, living with compassion and conviction. And that's what Jesus calls us to. There's a tension to manage there. But it's tough. It's tension because it feels like they're opposites and they compete with each other. And each one of us has a tendency to gravitate towards one or the other. Some of you, you lean more into truth. You're truthers. Some of you, you lean more into grace and you're gracers. But Jesus calls us to embrace both and to live in the tension. So that's our job is to learn how to live in the tension of both. Now, the gracers are going to say, yeah, yeah, but, 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 but we're saved by grace. And the truthers quickly going to respond, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the truth is what sets us free, right? Like it's both of these things. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to explore which one of these you gravitate to more. In just a moment, I'm going to read to you. I'm going to describe what it is to be heavy on truth and light on grace. Because that's where a lot of you are. But then I'm going to describe what it looks like to be heavy on grace and light on truth, because that's also where a lot of you are. And when I do this, I'm going to invite you to explore which one of these is you. Now, when I read one set, you're probably going to be nodding like, oh yeah, that's those people. Mm -hmm." But then when I read the other set, you'll be like, oh, that's not me. Come on. It's going to sting a little bit more, right? You're going to be probably put off a little bit. The one that puts you off is probably the one you are, okay? So it might sting. That's part of spiritual growth. And so I want to invite you into that. I've done this myself. I'm not going to tell you which one I lean toward, but I'm like, oh, yeah, I got I to gotta lean more to the other. And that's the deal. Identify where you are and then lean towards the other because that's when growth happens. That's when spiritual growth occurs. So here we go. You with me? We're going to start with the truthers. Those of you who are heavy on truth but light on grace tend to pursue study and knowledge. That's a good thing. And you tend to be quick to judge and slower to forgive. Not always a good thing. You see things through a lens that is clear, right, and wrong, black and white on the issues with no gray in between. You tend to dislike being in small groups because they have this relational component and that just doesn't get deep enough for you. You can be overly critical of what others say and do, how long it takes them to grow, the fact that they don't know as much about you. You can tend to be impatient with that. You can tend towards judgmentalism, which can cost some of you your kids because they rebel against the strictness, the fundamentalist. Heavy gracers 
can tend towards divisiveness, being prideful. The clanging symbol of 1 Corinthians 13, having all the knowledge but not able to see a whole lot of love in it. Often prone to wanting to win an argument, but not often trying to win the other person. Now, for those of you who are heavy on grace and light on truth, you tend to be amazing with forgiveness and love. But you're light on the right and wrong. You tend to make tough decisions based on feelings and hope more than on evidence. You can struggle to obey. You tend to want to avoid conversations about theology and deeper study because it's all in the feels for you. You offer big sympathy but little bitty accountability, right? That's the gracers. You can unwittingly enable people to keep sinning because you're afraid to be judgmental. And the gracers can lose their kids to a sinful lifestyle as well because they don't steer their kids towards obedience, towards truth, because they don't want to appear too strict. Gracers tend to be non-confrontational. They have a sense of morality, but it's not always biblically sounded or informed. It can lean into compromising God's word for the sake of appearing loving. Now, both sides and all of us really can tend to do this. We tend to mix our personal preferences with some biblical knowledge. And so we over-spiritualize our preferences. We pick and choose from the Bible. That's you know called proof texting. We choose only the scriptures we like that defend our point of view. And then we mix that. We over-spiritualize our preference and say, well, this is what God would have us do. This is the spiritual thing. And we do that with truth, we do that with grace. Either way, it becomes really bad when we ignore the rest of Scripture and we don't keep Scripture in its context and when we pursue our preference over truth. It becomes pretty damaging. So here's the reality for all of us. Grace or truth in the absence of the other one becomes toxic. You have grace without truth, it's toxic. Truth without grace, that's toxic and it's no good. And so truth without grace breeds this self-righteous pride. It becomes poison for the church. But grace without truth just creates moral indifference. And then the world around us can't tell the difference between us and them. And that's not helpful at all. The German priest, Martin Luther, he once said that our enemy, the devil, he doesn't care which side of the horse we fall off of as long as we don't stay in the saddle. And so that means for us, we need to have one foot firmly in the stirrup of truth and the other firmly in the stirrup of grace and cling to Jesus in the middle. That's what Jesus would have for us. And not to just lean too hard to either side, one or the other, but to embrace both living in the tension between grace and truth. Now, this all sounds good, but what does this look like? What does it look like to actually live full of grace, full of truth. Well, Jesus showed us. The story is recorded for us in the 8th chapter of John's Gospel where Jesus early one morning was teaching in the temple and a crowd had gathered around. They wanted to hear what Jesus was going to be teaching. So Jesus is teaching. But then in come the Pharisees, like the religious elite and the religious hardline truthers. And they come busting in with this woman who's been caught in adultery. They disturb the whole scene. And they shove this woman into the center. And they say, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses tells us to stone her. Now listen, for those of you who are new to this, stoning does not mean let's get her some weed and get high. All right, That's not what he's talking about. Stoning was you take a stone and everybody's got a stone and they throw it at her. It's a form of execution. Brutal. Barbaric. 
an ancient way of execution. So now Jesus is like in the spot where they've thrown this woman into the mix. And they're trying to trip Jesus up, right? Now it's interesting, I think. Um, They say the law of Moses says, well, actually, they were misquoting scripture. The law of Moses did not say that execution had to be the punishment. But it did say that whatever the punishment for the woman was, was also the punishment for the man. Which begs the question, how do you catch somebody in the act of adultery? And if you do, it takes two to do that. Everybody's old enough to know. Like, yeah, there's two people involved in that. Where's the dude? Like, the dude has just been allowed to, like, sneak out. Where's he? That says a lot about the Pharisees in this moment. The woman's there, no guy. And so they're trying to tramp Jesus. Because Jesus says, all right, go ahead and grab the thing, stone her, put her to death. Then he's going against the Romans. Because the Roman law said the Jews weren't allowed to execute people. That was the Roman thing. So Jesus is going to go against the oppressive governing authority. Uh Uh-oh. Or if he says, no, 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 don't do that because of the Roman law. Then Jesus is ignoring God's authority and the word of God. So what's Jesus going to do? I love what he does. He does this. And he just starts drawing in the dirt with his finger. Just drawing in the dirt. Now the whole while, everybody else is like watching. There's already a crowd there. They're listening to Jesus teach. He gets interrupted. They see this encounter. The Pharisees are there waiting. And then you have this poor woman. She is standing in the center of all of this. She's totally alone. She's totally alone in her sin and her shame and her guilt and her brokenness and her embarrassment and her tears. She's like face to face with Jesus. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been just alone in your shame and your guilt and been face to face with Jesus? I have. I'm pretty sure you have too. And so there she is. And Jesus just riding. He's riding in the dust. But they keep pressing him, right? These Pharisees, these ultra truthers are like, no, 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 tell us what's up. They're like, Jesus, give us an answer, give us an answer. And I don't know what he was writing. I, I like to imagine that maybe he was just, as Jesus is, aware. Maybe he's just writing out the sins of the Pharisees writing them in the dust. And so they keep pressing him for a response. So Jesus stands up. It doesn't tell us he smiled, but I think he had like the wry smile that he would have. He's like, all right, all right, you want to play the game? You want to play this game? All right, well, I'll play your game. I'll play your game. Here we go. Right, like, let, let's do this. Here you go, guys. Grab your stones. Grab your stones. Let's do this. Let's, let's fold on. You think she needs to be stoned? Let's stone her. But, 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 but. One qualification. Only the one who has never sinned gets to throw first. Then the rest of you can join in. Like, whoever among you hasn't, hasn't done anything wrong, then you get started off. You just feel the awkwardness. You just hear Jesus' words just hang in the air. You just feel the anger of some of these guys. They thought they had Jesus trapped, and then here he is, putting it back on them. This crazy scene. And you just begin to hear one by one. Rolled further than I thought. By one. As the stones begin to drop. And the accusers walk off. And the woman still stands. And Jesus stands up. And he walks to the woman. 
And he engages her and he says, where are they? Where have your accusers gone? Did not even one of them condemn you? No, Lord. No, no. Good, good. Then neither do I. I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. It's one of my favorite passages in all scripture. Jesus just looks at this gal. I don't condemn you. That's great big grace. But stop sinning. That is a hardline truth. I don't condemn you. Grace. But stop sinning. Truth. Friend, I hope you hear this for you today. Those are Jesus' words spoken over you. Jesus says, listen, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you. But stop sinning. Grace and truth. Beautifully combined. Jesus often spoke the toughest truth to the proudest people, especially the proudest religious people. And so to those ultra truther Pharisees that day, Jesus spoke hard-line truth to them. Like they came in, they thought they had the corner on truth, they thought they had it all together. They thought they were it, right? And then they come in and they think they have Jesus trapped. And then Jesus turns truth back on them and gives them the most important truth they need to hear. That they are just as much in need of grace as that woman. That's some hardline truth. But it's a beautiful moment. And that Jesus often spoke the gentlest grace to the most broken people. But the reality was, being full of grace does not mean compromising truth. Jesus told her, stop sinning. We have a hard time with truth. We have a hard time sharing truth. Like, forget the sin issue. We have a hard time when somebody, like, has food in their teeth. And we're like, oh, do I tell my friend that they look weird right now? Like, bro, the lettuce is like, it looks like you're growing a garden in your tooth. Like, you got to do something about that, right? Or you see your friend and their, their collar is weird and like, oh, do I fix that for them? Or their zippers? There, by the way, just getting this out. There is nothing more awkward than being the one in front of y'all and like on a camera and be like, as I say this, is there anything in my teeth? You know, <laughs> it just like amps up the insecurity level, right? But like, we don't even do well. Like, do I share that or not? It's going to be awkward for me to say it. Do I help them out? But we all know, like, if you're the one with stuff in your teeth or your zippers down, you want your good friend to be like, bro, X, Y, Z, and like, you know, floss a little, like, we're good. Like, don't go. If you got a buddy going to go on a date, you're like, don't go looking like that, right? If you're going to go, like, that's, that's grace. But we don't even do good with that. You add sin into the mix, and it gets all wonky. Like, we are not great about this. But listen, the most gracious thing you can do for somebody is tell them the truth they need to hear, even if it's going to be hard for them to receive. If I, if I see you swimming in your sin, and I don't say anything about it, or if I minimize your sin like it's really not a big deal, or if I, don't, if I say your sin's not sin, it's not grace, it's not love, that's a cruel lie. Like the most gracious thing I can do is help you avoid the destructive end that sin will cause in your life. And I know you're probably not going to want to hear it. Well, listen, if you are careening toward a cliff and you're just like, man, you got it, the pedal floored and we're like, 
zooming towards the cliff. You don't need me to affirm you. Like you're such a good driver. You're like you're, you're you know you're a ten and two. You're such a good driver, and your 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 car handling skills are great. And like oh this is, no, you need me to say you're gonna die. Let's turn and let's hit the brakes and let's course correct. Like that's what you need from me. And if I'm heading towards the cliff, that's what I need from you. But we have a hard time with that. We have a hard time sharing that truth because we don't always like to receive it. We don't always like to hear those things because sometimes we like the direction we're going oftentimes. I mean, that's what sin is. Listen, sin is fun for a season. Let's not pretend it's not. If sin weren't fun, none of us would have a problem with it. And if you don't think sin is fun, you don't know how to do it right. Like, listen, call me up. I'll give you some pointers. I can help you out with that. Like, the sin is fun for a season. It's fun till it's not. Like, that's a point, right? But the problem is the season comes to a stop and then it's devastating. So let's stop before we get to the devastation. Let's just get out of that. But, but it's tough, right? And like we have this mess with this. And, and so the thing we need to do is speak the truth the other person needs to hear in the most gracious way to help them hear. But sometimes we, we, we don't say it that graciously. And, and here's the reality. You can speak truth in the most gracious way possible to another person. And they may still reject the truth because they prefer the direction they're heading. They may reject it for a moment. Usually, like rarely does somebody be like, oh yeah, that's all right. Thanks for telling me that. No, usually like, but then they might come back in a day or two they're like hey I need to hear that thanks and sometimes it's more in a day or two sometimes it's season sometimes you never get to see sometimes they just reject that truth and sometimes even when you say it in the most gracious way possible they might even reject you I think it's one of the reasons we don't we don't share truth with grace it's because we don't often receive truth well We don't. We like the direction we're going, and we don't like to be called out. And, and sometimes we'll say, well, it's the way it was said. I, I get that. And listen, there are times when I am speaking truth. I hope every time I'm up here I'm speaking truth to you. But sometimes when I speak truth, it doesn't come out as graciously as I want. There's been moments where I was so impassioned and so caught up in the moment and so eager to have people embrace the truth because I saw the, just a devastating direction they were headed and it just doesn't come out with a whole lot of grace. And I get that, and I apologize for when that happens. But here's the deal. Reject me, call me up, send me the email, but don't reject the truth. It's the messenger, not the message that's messed up in that moment. So let's be people who receive truth with grace. That's the big thing, man. We all got to receive truth with grace. And, and let's get better at that. Because listen, there's a story in the Old Testament where God spoke through a donkey to get his truth across. He might still do that once in a while, right? Like, hmm, every once in a while, it might still happen, right? So let's just accept that that might happen. But we got to still, like, graciously receive the truth, even if it's not delivered the way we'd prefer. And let's make sure we're speaking the truth other people need to hear, giving as much grace as possible. And even sometimes we might mess up on the grace part. But let's speak that out. And, and let's get past the point. Because sometimes, man, I think sometimes what happens is, we shrouded in, well, I don't want to hurt them. I don't. No, no, no. It's really a selfish thing because I don't want to jack up the relationship and I don't want to jeopardize this thing. But here's what Jesus calls us to. Jesus says, you got to be willing to risk relationship for the sake of their righteousness. Like that's what he calls us to. Speaking truth with grace is risking relationship for the sake of their righteousness. And it means you got to put their holiness above their happiness. And if 
You might have to put your holiness above your happiness. Jesus doesn't want you to be happy. Jesus wants you to be holy. So you want to learn to be happy, learn to be happy being holy because that's the only happy that's going to make any difference at the end. And if you learn to be happy in holiness, you're going to find a much greater fulfilling happiness than anything else out there that sin's going to provide. And so you got to like risk relationship and risk the happiness for the sake of their righteousness and the sake of everyone's holiness. That's the life we're called to. Because at the end of the day, truth without grace simply crushes people and it ceases to be true. Those Pharisees brought that woman in. They were using her as a pawn and crushing her. What they were doing, that wasn't true. But in the same way, grace without truth simply deceives people and ceases to be grace. That's just a lie. One without the other is equally destructive. Jesus was full of truth, so he called sin, sin, and he was full of grace, so he died for it. Grace and truth are not incompatible. They are inseparable. They're bound up together. And it's not like half and half or part and part. It's full and full. Listen, Jesus was full of grace, full of truth all the time. He was all grace, all truth, always. And that's what he's called us to be. That's our standard. Jesus never dialed back the truth. And Jesus, he never dumbed down the truth. He never dialed back the grace. He never dumbed down the truth, never dialed back to grace. He was all grace, all truth, all the time. And that's what he asks of us for one another. The way we should treat one another, but also the way we should treat people beyond this place too. And and listen, this is the way Jesus went about that. John, in his gospel, his story of Jesus' life, records Jesus saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Now, our world doesn't like that truth. Our world says that's exclusive and that's, That's cruel and that's not okay. Jesus is the only way. Well, what about all the other ways? And there is no other way. Listen, this is true, but this is grace. I mean, listen to what Jesus is saying. He's like, listen, you you want a way to heaven? You want a way to the Father? I'll make the way. You want to know what truth is? I am that truth. I am the only way. It says, you want life? I'll give you the only life that there is. It says, there is a way to the Father. That's not a truth. That's truth. That's grace. Grace is the fact that there is a way to the Father. There is a way to heaven. And Jesus is that way. And he paved that way by taking your sins and taking upon his shoulders on a cross to die for you. That's grace. That's not some exclusive, cruel thing. That's a beautiful thing. That the God of heaven would die for you. And he made a way for you. And he says, there it is. Friends, that's the good news that he made a way. And all we got to do is surrender to him and follow him. And we'll find life and truth and peace. And we'll find the way. What a beautiful thing. Now, throughout the centuries, the church has embodied this. And the church has lived into this. And it's not just with our interactions with one to another. It's like how we as a group of people interact with the world around us. Because the world around us is dying for a church that makes a difference. They are so hungry for a church that will matter to them. And matter in their world. And so throughout the centuries, this is what the church has done to respond to the ills of the world with grace and truth. The church has always been on the front lines meeting social needs and curing social ills. It was the church that was on the front lines in the abolition of slavery. It was the church that was on the front lines in the enactment of child labor laws. The church on the front lines for public school. It was the church on the front lines for the creation of universities. Church on the front lines for orphanages. Church on the front lines for creating hospitals. Church on the front lines for helping create addiction recovery programs. The church has been on the front line again and again and again because the church, the people of God, with grace have said, the grace says, I see your problems, I feel your pain. And with truth we say, but there's a way through it. And so the church has always created the way for grace to be in action 
and for truth to be upheld. Man, the world's dying for us to do that. And what this means is that following Jesus is bigger than just adhering to a list of doctrinal statements. Doctrine is important. It matters. But it's way bigger than just saying, I agree with those truths. Grace says, I'm going to put those truths in action to go love people and help them find the way. So that means following Jesus. I think we got a slide for this. Following Jesus. It's up here. Maybe. Maybe. The following Jesus means demonstrating cross-like compassion without compromising biblical convictions. That that, that's the Jesus-filled life. That's the Jesus-following life. Cross-like compassion without compromising biblical conviction. That's what Jesus calls us to. And so that means that the church is not in a war against culture. That the church takes the gospel and we engage culture to do what Jesus has always been about, to make something new happen. The church is on the front lines with the gospel engaging every domain of humanity, from education to economics to health to communication to art to agriculture, and on and on it would go. And that means we, as Jesus followers, must ask, not what would Jesus do, but what does Jesus want me to do? What is Jesus wanting to do through you and me and us collectively? What would Jesus have us do? What would Jesus have us do about street children and orphans and homelessness? What would Jesus have us do about alcoholism and drug abuse and porn addiction and other addictions and drugs? What would Jesus have us do to strengthen families and to promote safe drinking water and adequate housing and food and health services? What would Jesus have us do about attaining fair wages and adequate employment? What would Jesus have us do about caring for neglected kids and the elderly, and the infirmed, and the widows, and the widowers? What would Jesus have us do to bring beauty to his world with parks, and trees, and shade, and flowers, and nice places for people to be? What would Jesus have us do in the education of children and adults to stamp out the illiteracy in our world? And when we answer those questions, then we better go do it. What would Jesus have us do? We better start asking that question more and more of ourselves, individually and collectively, and then we got to get on mission to go do it. Because that's what Jesus is calling us to. And that's exactly where we are. That's why our church will lead out with things like the fall fest coming up. It's not so we can all come together and have a happy fall event. It's so that people who need a church to matter to them can come find hope and truth and know that we care about them and we want to do great things for our community and love on the little ones in our community and give mom and dads a break and a place that they can come. That's why we do things like that. That's why we will keep doing things like that. So friend, my invitation to you today is to be on mission with us and for you to be a grace-giving truth-teller or a truth-telling grace-giver. If you're heavy on truth, lean into grace. And if you're heavy on grace, lean into truth because that's where the growth is going to happen. And so I have some tips for you on how to do that. For those of you who are truthers, ask yourself before you post, before you respond, is this helpful and is it kind? And secondly, don't give soundbite answers to complicated questions. Every question that we face with those problems that I just listed, that's complicated and that's complex. So don't just give some trite answer. Because when we forget grace, we lose our voice in the world and then we just sound angry and bigoted. Third, be patient with those who grow stronger than you, who wrestle with sin in a different way than you. And maybe most importantly for the truthers, be really hard to hate by the way you give grace to others. Give so much grace that they can't hate you. Make it hard for them to toss aside your truth because you grace them so much. Now, gracers, you're not off the hook here either. <laughs> for the gracers, you've got to ask yourself, how can I kindly and clearly 
challenge this person. So the second point goes right along with that. Speak the truth that they need to hear. What do they need to hear? Speak the truth into that. And know that silence is interpreted as agreement. And the longer you stay silent, the harder it is to speak out at some point. And then, for yourself, pursue obedience to an area where you have been resistant to God's word. Where you've tried to compromise God's word to get around things. Stop doing that and lean into obedience. And then, maybe the toughest one for gracers. Be willing to risk relationship for the sake of their righteousness. For all of us, let's pursue holiness as happiness. And be willing to risk relationship for the sake of their righteousness. And so friends, I know what I'm asking because I know how difficult this is for me. I'm asking you to step from the safety of your tower, either grace or truth, and to step onto the tightrope that feels like you're just out there in no man's land. And you feel the tension, you feel pulled towards one and pulled towards the other. And when you do that, you find yourself in a place that looks a lot like Jesus. That cross-filled, compassion-filled, conviction-filled life. Offering grace and truth to everyone. And it feels uncomfortable. But just know when you find yourself there, standing in that place looking like this. It's exactly where Jesus would have you be. It's exactly where he'd have you be. Let's pray. Jesus, you took a cross for us in a moment full of truth to identify that our sin is ugly and messy and has consequence. But in a beautiful moment of grace, to say that doesn't have to be the end of the story. Full of grace and full of truth, you called our sin sin and then you died for it to free us from it. And you came out of that grave to make the way for us to be with you to be with the Father forever. God, I pray for any listening today that if they don't know that truth, if they haven't accepted that grace, that today would be their day. And God, for all of us who have, that we would live as your ministers, every single one of us, a minister of grace, a minister of truth, all grace, all truth, all the time to all whom we encounter. God, that you would get the glory. It's in Jesus we pray.